Have you ever discovered something life-changing? And if so, where did you go from there? From telling a friend to starting a cult, there are all kinds of lengths people go to to share their passions and profit off of them. Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I'm a writer and an actor who wholeheartedly believes in women's liberation and pleasure and is wholeheartedly confused by the methods the protagonist of today's story used to try to achieve women's liberation and pleasure. And by the way, today's story is not suitable for kiddies or for those of you who are squeamish about frank discussions of sex. So, let's meet that confusing protagonist of today's story, shall we? Nicole Daydone grew up in Los Gatos, California, about 50 miles south of San Francisco with her single mother. She graduated from San Francisco State in 1991 with a bachelor's degree with a focus on gender communications, which I had to Google and found out gender communications is a whole area of study based on the false notion of fixed gender roles and the gender binary. Fun! After having learned the differences between the way boys and girls talk, Daydone founded an avant-garde art gallery called 111 Minna Street and ran it for a year. The gallery is still thriving today, but Daydone's restless spirit carried her off after just a year. In 1996, when Daydone was about 27, she found out her estranged father, who was serving time in prison for molesting two girls, was dying of cancer. Apparently, by the time she found out, he only had hours to live. She later told the New York Times, Everything in my reality just collapsed. My body turned to stone and crumbled. She said her father never touched her inappropriately, and even though their relationship was strained... There had been a way I felt close to him in this felt way. And then all of a sudden he would shut down. I later came to understand that he was trying to protect me from himself, from his pathology. Her father's death sent Daydone on a spiritual journey. She started with theosophical studies and then Kabbalah and then Buddhism. She said she had plans to become a Buddhist nun at a Zen Buddhist center in San Francisco. The New York Times said she pursued Buddhism, quote, with a vengeance, which is hilarious. I'm going to fucking Zen out so fucking hard. I'm going to be the best at Zenning out. Anyway. In 1998, Daydone went to a party, which, as far as I can tell, was just a regular party, where she met a man who has been described as a Buddhist, a Buddhist monk, or in her telling of the story, just as a cute guy, who, according to Daydone, delivered, quote, the best pickup line I had ever heard. Strangers, want to know what the best pickup line Nicole Daydone had ever heard was? I'd like to introduce you to this sexuality practice. I'm not kidding. I'd like to introduce you to this sexuality practice, he said, at a normal party to a woman he had never met before. He then said, you're going to take off your pants and I'm going to leave my clothes on and I'm going to focus all my attention on you for 15 minutes. And then, you're free to go. 
okay, stop. Just hold the phone, pump the brakes, hold your fucking horses, bro. First of all, just no, not today, Bob. Or ever, Bob. Second of all, if I were to say yes to this bananas proposal, let me tell you something, buddy. I'd be free to go at any point. Never in the infinity of the universe would I ever let anyone tell me you're going to do X, Y, Z, and then you're free to go. You're free to have my knee in your balls. But not Daydon. Daydon, who claimed in her TEDx talk about this, that she had the, quote, defenses of every woman and knows how to say no, says she somehow found herself naked from the waist down with her legs butterflied out with the stranger sitting next to her. And may I remind you, they were still at a party, as far as I know. He then took a light and shined it on her area and began describing what he saw. He said, Your outer labia are coral. I'm noticing that your inner labia has this red tone to them, and they're swelling as I look at them. At this point, Daydon said she didn't hear anything else because she felt something inside her start to thaw and she started crying and then he started touching her and she broke open some more. What she described feeling is similar to how some people describe a profound meditative state. The man, this stranger who was intimately describing her parts and, let's be honest, just fingering her, never took his clothes off or touched his own parts in any way during the experience. What he did afterward on his own, I have zero interest in knowing. Daydon later said, For the first time in my life, I felt like I had access to that hunger that was underneath all of my other hungers, which is a fundamental hunger to connect to another human being. And then I had a moment of thinking, I want to know how to live here in this place, and In my philanthropic way, I want everyone else to know how to live here. Female orgasm is vital for every single woman on the planet. So undeniable that I had to bring it to the world. In 2004, Daydon founded the One Taste Urban Retreat Center, where people could come together, while expressly not coming together, to experience orgasmic meditation, conveniently acronymed to OM. The name One Taste, she explained, comes from the Buddhist saying, quote, Just as the ocean has one taste, the taste of salt, so does the taste of liberation, the taste of truth, end quote. Daydon felt she had tasted truth during her experience with the stranger stroking her pudenda, and she had to share that taste in order to cure the world of all its ills. The cure was slow sex and better orgasms. According to a piece from 2022 in L.A. Magazine, Daydon claimed that Tibetan Buddhists, quote, use orgasm as a metaphor for enlightenment because it's the only time the filters are removed, end quote. The author of the article, Mick Brown, pointed out, parenthetically, that this claim was incorrect. And I was like, would this lady really go around making false claims about an ancient religion that's easily Googleable? That kind of seems like a weird rookie mistake. Turns out it's not completely incorrect. Tantric or Vajrayana Buddhists believe that orgasm is one of the four gateways into the luminous, empty nature of mind. 
so less a metaphor and more of a tool. Anyway. It was important to Daydone that practitioners of orgasmic meditation understand that it was not sex. Practitioners of OM called each other research partners. One former member and employee of One Taste told LA Magazine, The other thing was having this almost ritualized series of steps, which made it feel safe for any two people to do this. You set up the nest, you set a timer, say a few words of a specific kind, and then announce that you're going to put your finger down. Early on, we had strict safeguards in place so that both people understood this was going to be a complete experience. And if you want to continue with something beyond that, you end the ohm, you get dressed, you leave the room. There's no sneaking in anything else. But this so-called urban retreat where people could practice OM was also a communal living space. So in the beginning, the practitioners of One Taste all live together. And this, stranger, is how your relatively innocuous, albeit weird, wellness practice becomes a cult. The minute the leader says, okay, and here's your bedroom, you better be out of there faster than me at a bar when someone offers me a vodka and Red Bull. According to a 2018 expose about Daydone and One Taste in Playboy magazine, the first One Taste retreat in San Francisco housed about 50 people, men and women, mostly in their late 20s and early 30s, who, by the way, slept two to a bed. They would engage in oming three times a day. By the way, my spell check desperately wants me to change oming to coming, which seems like a lot of oming. Like, I omed myself recently and I was pretty much done for the rest of the day. Three times a day? Ugh, what a chore. Apparently, the beds were all set up in an open floor plan warehouse space. According to the Playboy piece, quote, everything from oming to fighting to sex happened in a shared space, end quote. So, a terrible, wallless dorm of horny 20-somethings with undefined relationships. A nightmare. One former Omer who lived there said, You couldn't hide. There was nowhere to go, and you got used to it. Our ancestors lived in caves. They lived in longhouses. If you take a baby and put it on its mother's chest, its heartbeat will regulate to its mother's heartbeat. We need each other to regulate each other. And if we don't have that, things go wrong. I don't know too much about our ancestors, but I'm willing to bet they didn't hump in front of their buddies and kids. Maybe I'm wrong. And sure, I think we need connections as humans, but we also, you know, need privacy once in a while. Like I once lived in a studio apartment with a boyfriend. And when I got mad, the only other room I could escape to was the bathroom. Anyway, I guess Daydone wasn't making enough money off the 25 or so men masturbating the 25 or so women three times a day on used pillows all over the place. So she started running classes and workshops and other ohm houses opened. And according to LA Magazine, quote, prospective omers were offered a menu of services and events. An introductory workshop cost $195, a week-long urban monk program, $2,000, or you could train to become a certified coach for $16,000. There were how-to DVDs, one-stroke lubricant, and ohm pillow sets to build nests, end quote. I can only imagine. 
Oh no, just the DVD, thanks. I'm all set for Lubin pillows. But these are special Lubin pillows. What's special about this lube and these pillows? They're One Taste brand lube and pillows. And? They're more expensive than regular lube and pillows. Sold. Apparently there was even a naked yoga class that anyone could attend. Let me tell you, I don't even like doing yoga under the best of circumstances, but the last thing I want to deal with while I'm struggling through Downward Dog is seeing some dude's hairy asshole and dangly balls in my face. Do you know how much farting goes on in yoga? Good God. Daydone, looking for a way to profit off women's liberation through orgasm, then turned her gaze toward that great mecca of money, that crown of capitalism, that tremendous terrain of tech brodom, Silicon Valley. Where else does one go if they want to turn a human experience into a cash cow app? In a 2013 piece for Gawker, one former Omer, Natasha Tiku, put it this way. Everyone is interested in doing fun things with their bodies, but the impulse to systematize, replicate, package, sell, and build an ideology around it is uniquely Silicon Valley. Part of what drives app makers and investors is the urge to bend the world to their desires, turn a thing on its side to see if it works better that way. In the personal realm, that translates to a libertine sense of entitlement and the pursuit of total optimization Ohm seems ideally designed to meet those goals. Gross. One Taste continued spreading the word and its legs, capitalizing on women's orgasms pretty much under the radar for a few years until the New York Times covered the organization in March of 2009. Daydone told the Times she saw herself leading the, quote, slow sex movement, end quote, which, like the slow food movement, seemed to have been founded on an anti-capitalist ideal. You know, grow your own food or support local farmers, cut down on waste and your carbon footprint, but quickly turned into something companies like Whole Foods could package as an expensive lifestyle. She said, I don't think women really experience freedom until they own their sexuality. I wholeheartedly agree, but if you're truly interested in women's liberation, why charge so much for women to access it? More importantly, why make women's liberation wholly dependent on the latexed, lubed-up fingers of men? Well, if you're running a money-making business, it's better for the bottom line if your product appeals to both women and men. It turns out that female-bodied people are only about half the population, and only a small portion of the other half are at all interested in the genuine pleasure of the first half. So, One Taste had to figure out how to make the whole enterprise as appealing to men as it was supposed to be for women. Again, all for getting off, but not like this. Former member Ken Blackman wrote in a Facebook post that men enjoy oming, Not vicariously for the pleasure he's giving her, and not for the side benefits, many though they be, he actually starts to feel something in his body from being in direct physical contact with a woman in orgasm that feels good. Making someone feel good makes you feel good? What a radical concept! Stop the fucking presses. 
Of course, it didn't hurt that male One Taste members also had access to a bevy of women who were constantly thinking about their own sexual satisfaction. That's what we call shooting fish in a barrel, folks. The Times piece profiled a few One Taste customers. There was the recently divorced Silicon Valley guy who said focusing on a tiny spot of a woman's body improved his concentration at work. Strangers, I can't. I don't even know where to begin with this dehumanizing garbage. Maybe if he'd spent more time focusing on his wife, he'd have improved his concentration on his marriage. Maybe women's bodies shouldn't be used as a productivity tool. I would say, who knew clitorises were so powerful? But the answer is me. I knew that. And I didn't have to spend hundreds of dollars to learn it. All I needed was a vibrator that plugs into the wall and a towel. There was the repressed woman in her late 20s who was like, what is orgasm? There was the 28-year-old Rachel Cherwitz who, after struggling with anorexia and alcoholism, moved to Israel to become an Orthodox Jew. She came back to the States and discovered One Taste and loved it so much, she became a private sensuality coach for One Taste at one of their satellites in New York City. There was a tension. And after these stories hit the New York Times, more began circulating. Not about the promise of orgasmic meditation, but about the likelihood of a cult growing around it. The New York Times profile of One Taste was generally positive, but it featured a few former members who had some less-than-stellar things to say about the cult. Er, I mean, group. Apparently, according to these former members, Daydon would strongly suggest members sleep with each other, assigning specific pairs herself. It doesn't sound like she ever forced people, but some felt she had cult-like powers over them. Former member Marcy Boyd said that Daydon grocks people, which is, as far as I can tell, a pretentious way of using an obscure literary reference that only like five people will get to say that Daydon understands someone so completely that she becomes one with them. Another member said that after a while, you stop trusting yourself and start trusting Daydon. Daydon, for her part, told the Times, quote, there's a high potential for this to be a cult, end quote. To combat this, it seems all Daydon did was move out of the communal living quarters and in with her millionaire boyfriend. Call me cynical, but that seems less like a measure to stop a cult and more like a measure to go fuck her rich boyfriend and not have to share a bathroom with 50 other people. Turns out, Daydon had some experience with cults already. While she happily touted her sexual liberation origin story as the one in which she met a cute guy who may or may not have been a Buddhist monk at a party who stroked her happy button while telling her what her orchid of love looked like, the truth was that even before meeting that creep, Daydon had spent two years beginning in 1998 living in a commune called Welcomed Consensus, which billed itself as, quote, researchers slash instructors of deliberate orgasm, specializing in female orgasm, friendship, sensuality, and living pleasurably since 1992, end quote. 
Welcomed Consensus was an offshoot of the Morehouse Communes, another sex cult of the 60s and 70s run by Victor Branco, who was known as the Colonel Sanders of sex cults, according to multiple sources. I have no idea what that means beyond the notion that it probably has something to do with breasts and thighs, nor do I want to theorize beyond that. Look, if your idea of a sex guru is an old white-haired dude with a bow tie who peddles hormone-stuffed fried factory farm chicken, go live your life. It's just not for me. According to Mel Magazine, quote, For $200 a month, the hippie burnouts and soulful seekers could live in a decrepit Victorian house where they fixed meals together, practiced self-awareness, and were encouraged to explore each other in the hopes of powerful sexual awakenings, end quote. Really? Wow. Sign me up. Like One Taste, the practice at Morehouse also included paying very focused attention to the clitoris. In 1976, Barranco put on a live demonstration in a large auditorium in Sonoma in which he used his hand on a 22-year-old woman and apparently made her climax for more than three hours. I've seen this video, or one like it, and it turns out the woman isn't actually climaxing. Barranco would get her very near climax and back off. So less of a three-hour orgasm and more of a three-hour session of blue balls. Barranco used the demonstration to sell classes, as Mel Magazine put it, treating the clitoris mostly as a button for profit. An old white guy using women's so-called sexual pleasure for profit? Why, I never. In 1992, Barranco stood trial on accusations of forced prostitution by former members of Morehouse. The court proceedings ended in a mistrial, and Barranco and Morehouse sued the San Francisco Chronicle for publishing a series of articles outlining the accusations being made in the trial, as well as accusations by other former members who said members were forced into prostitution and were provided LSD and other drugs by Morehouse leaders. According to LA Magazine, Daydone spent two years in the Morehouse cult and even pitched herself to Barranco as his successor. When these revelations came out, Daydone tried to do some damage control by claiming that she'd only taken three classes at Morehouse and that she'd actually worked more closely with a disciple of Barranco's rather than with Barranco himself. But One Taste co-founder Robert Kendall was like, nah, she spent the last seven years devoting her energy to the work of Dr. Victor Barranco. Whichever cult leader Daydone had studied under, after the New York Times profile of One Taste came out, despite the warnings from former members who said Daydone had a cult-like power over them, One Taste grew, nevertheless. In 2011, Daydone gave a TEDx talk, which was basically an unabashed advertisement for One Taste, in which she said, I say just try it. I mean, really, the worst thing you have to lose is 15 minutes of your life. The best thing you have to lose is that sense of hopelessness that you will ever be reached deep inside. Ew. By this point, One Taste participants were coughing up as much as $11,000 to join the coach training program. Couples consultations could cost tens of thousands of dollars if Daydone was leading them. The following year, 2012, One Taste had eight branches across the United States, including one in Las Vegas, which I don't know about you, but the only thing that would make this whole thing less appealing would be doing it 
in Las Vegas. By 2014, One Taste was offering a $60,000 membership that offered front row seating to unlimited classes. In 2018, in addition to the thousands of people who had taken courses, more than 14,000 people had signed up for online classes and the app. Oprah, Khloe Kardashian, and Gwyneth Paltrow all jumped on the OM bandwagon, which as far as I'm concerned, meant one taste had jumped the shark. As soon as any Kardashian or Gwyneth Paltrow are touting your product, you know it's over. I would rather drink a cup of angry goat sweaty beaver hot sauce, which is an actual thing I just found through Google, than use anything promoted by either of those people. Unless, of course, either of those people were promoting angry goat sweaty beaver hot sauce. The New York Times article may have brought out the stands in Chloe and Gwenny, but it also inspired some chagrined former One Taste members to take to Yelp, of all places. One woman who called herself Mindy wrote, quote, Following the first OM, I woke up two days later and was so ungrounded I found myself unable to work. I proceeded to become more and more ungrounded as the week drew on. My symptoms progressed to full-blown PTSD. The context here is that I am a pre-verbal incest survivor. I have sought therapy for 10 years regarding this and felt ready to take my healing to the next place. During the OM training, there was no mention of the nature of the journey that OMing can often open for women with childhood sexual histories. I assumed there would be a journey, but to offer no forewarning or no roadmap when one is totally available is, in my judgment, wholly irresponsible, end quote. At the risk of inviting a lot of vitriol, I do need to say that if you have a past as a victim of sexual violence, maybe a group where a stranger masturbates you in a room with other women being masturbated is not where you should go. Another woman wrote, quote, Most people who show up here are lonely, vulnerable, or insecure, and they usually fall into one of two categories, proprietors and whores. The first group are usually lonely older men with a decent amount of money. The latter are usually younger women, occasionally attractive young men, who are encouraged to sleep with the former. And of course, both parties sign up for the aforementioned programs. Men often leave feeling financially taken advantage of and women used for their bodies. Heck, I know there are people who did have sex for money to pay for their coaching program. And I know when I think of who I became during the time I was there, I feel sad. End quote. And while most cults might try to backpedal after this kind of negative press, Daydone, it seems, kind of doubled down. In 2014 and 15, she hosted two five-day events for $6,500 per person that she called Magic School. According to the scathing 2018 expose in Playboy magazine, Daydone not only claimed that the next Buddha would be her community of present followers, she also appointed seven, quote, priests of orgasm, end quote, to supposedly carry on the lineage of Om and to attempt to link one taste to the Egyptian temples of Ephesus and Isis. Daydone saw herself as the high priestess who would anoint followers. According to one attendee, Daydone herself even said, 
Wow. If anyone ever heard what I just said, they would really think this was a cult. I mean, if it walks like a cult and quacks like a cult, you know what I mean? In 2017, Daydone stepped down, and former One Taste marketing manager Joanna Van Vleck stepped in as CEO with the goal to make One Taste the whole foods of sexuality. Gone were the communal living spaces, and Van Vleck started poaching executives from other wellness companies like CrossFit and Odwalla. In 2017, One Taste claimed to have brought in $12 million in profit. The nonprofit arm of One Taste commissioned a study on the health benefits of orgasmic meditation. The study was tiny, with only 20 pairs of participants, but it did find that oming produces similar changes in the brain as other forms of meditation and suggested a link between sexuality and spirituality, to which Daydone probably responded, Told you so, from her multi million dollar mansion in San Francisco. But then, on June 18th, 2018, Bloomberg Businessweek published a pretty damning expose that included quotes from 16 former One Taste members and alleged, quote, Many of the former staffers and community members say One Taste resembled a kind of prostitution ring, one that exploited trauma victims and others searching for healing. In some members' experiences, the company used flirtation and sex to lure emotionally vulnerable targets. It taught employees to work for free or cheap to show devotion. And managers frequently ordered staffers to have sex or ohm with each other or with customers, end quote. In other words, it was a sex cult. The article profiled one woman in particular who was drawn to One Taste because of the potential friendships and romantic partners it offered. She got swept up real quick and sunk all of her money into courses and applied for her first credit card when her cash ran out. By the time she left the group, she was saddled with tens of thousands of dollars of debt. Similar to Nexium, One Taste members' daily schedules were relentless. At 7 a.m. every morning, the grossly underpaid staff had to participate in two rounds of oming and then do a fear inventory, after which staffers were encouraged to basically tell on each other to management if anyone had doubts about One Taste. Staffers had to spend most of the time they weren't coming making sales. One former staff member said, quote, We bullied people and we played on their fears. It wasn't just unethical, it was bad business. We were strip mining our resources, end quote. According to the Bloomberg piece, quote, Someone who wasn't hitting sales goals chanced being deemed too messed or off the rails, in need of ohm or sex. Workers exhausted by the long hours were told they should ohm more, that orgasm is an endless energy resource. Some former staffers say frequent ohm sessions left them in a constant state of emotional and physical rawness that, combined with a lack of sleep, blurred their ability to think, end quote. One Taste adamantly denied all the allegations laid out against them by Playboy and Bloomberg, but did pay a $325,000 settlement against a former employee who accused them of ordering her to have sex with customers and managers. In late 2018, the FBI got involved, interviewing multiple people associated with One Taste, but 
Nothing came of that investigation. Still, in October of 2018, One Taste closed its offices and stopped offering in-person classes and retreats, focusing instead on putting their lessons online to reach a wider audience. And then, in 2020, BBC4 Radio launched a damning podcast called The Orgasm Cult, laying out even more allegations against One Taste. This time, One Taste didn't just deny the accusations, it sued the BBC for libel and defamation. That case is still pending. One Taste has since rebranded as the Institute of Ohm that describes itself as, quote, an education company dedicated to helping people increase health, happiness, and connection through orgasmic meditation, end quote. For her part, Daydon seems to be doing just fine. She bought several multi-million dollar properties she can ohm in whenever she wants. The Institute of Ohm now advertises, quote, learn to ohm for free. Get started in your own home with our official guide to orgasmic meditation, end quote, which is, after all, what it should have been doing all along. Strangers, to quote George Washington, can I be real for a second? Tell the people how I feel for a second? Wow, that was super inside baseball. I relate to the experience of experiencing profound pleasure and immediately thinking I need to quit my life, sell all my possessions, and just go traveling the world, sharing the good news about the female orgasm. I actually do believe that the world would be a better place if people with clitorises learned how to harness their full power. And I do firmly believe it's possible to learn how to do this. The difference between me and Nicole Daydone, however, is that after I have my world-changing experiences, I think about how I need to quit my life and travel the world spreading the good news in order to bring about world peace and female liberation, but then I just have a sandwich and take a nap. Whereas Daydone was like, I need to quit my life and travel the world spreading the good news in order to bring about world peace and female liberation, but also capitalism. And she figured out how to package and sell it. At the end of the day, the key to women's liberation, and thus all human liberation, may indeed be tucked away in that magical wishbone-shaped organ with 8,000 nerve endings. The only organ in the human body, as far as we know, whose sole purpose is pleasure. But until and unless people stop treating women's bodies as profit machines... We may never know. Next time on Strange and Unexplained, the unknown can be a scary and forbidding place. Much scarier, though, can be the lengths some will go to to try to tame and control the unknown. We'll take a trip to 19th century Exeter, Rhode Island to hear about the unfortunate legend of Mercy Brown. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have a story you'd like us to cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. Strange and Unexplained is a production of the Obsessed Network and is produced by Becca Gregorio and Natalie Grillo. This episode was written by me, Daisy Egan, and researched by Jess McKillop and edited by Eve Kerrigan. Our audio mixer and engineer is Jennifer Swatek. 
Our voice actors for this episode were Jordan Kai Burnett, Andrea Jones Sojola, and Ryan Garcia. If you like our show, please help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at SNUPod. And check out the Strange and Unexplained Facebook page to join in the conversation.